Well, welcome to this session with Grace Point Church of Ephrata, Washington. We want to welcome our church family as you're watching, as well as any guests who may have found us on the internet. Uh, we're glad you're here today as we continue our study uh, through, the book of through the book of Philippians. Uh, I, ha I have in my hand here a, a book that was written back in the mid-20th uh, century. It's actually a translation of the epistles of the Apostle Paul, or Apostle Paul's letters. It was done by J.B. Phillips, and this was a copy that uh, I inherited from my parents. But uh, in his translator's preface, in fact, C.S. Lewis writes, an introduction to this, and then J.B. Phillips, the translator, he writes in his preface, he said, there is, no, there is one other point that should be made before the letters are read, and of course he's referring to Paul's letters. Without going into wearisome historical details, we need to remember that these letters were written and the lives they indicate were led against a background of paganism uh, there were no churches, there were no Sundays, no books about the faith, slavery, sexual immorality, cruelty, callousness to human suffering, and a low standard of public opinion were universal. Traveling and communications were chancy and perilous, and most people were, Ill, were illiterate. <clears throat> Many Christians today talk about the difficulties of our times as though we should have to wait for better ones before the Christian religion can take root. It is heartening to remember that this faith took root and flourished amazingly in conditions that have, would have killed anything less vital in a matter of weeks. These early Christians were on fire with the conviction that they had become, through Christ, literally sons of God. They were pioneers of a new humanity, founders of a new kingdom. They st still speak to us across the centuries. Perhaps if we believed what they believed, we might achieve what they achieved. You know, this past week, since our last session together, uh, of course, there's been a great challenge in the fact that uh, our joy can be really robbed by the national stage and what's going on in our country and around the world, not only the pandemic, <clears throat> but political upheaval, and in the days <clears throat> to come, we will probably face more and more of that. And interestingly, in the book of Philippians, one of the main themes is joy in living the Christian life. Joy occurs uh, some 19 times, the word in this short letter, rejoicing, gladness, uh, and the Apostle Paul calls us to rejoice. And I think with uh, the pandemic and then with the political season that is upon us, uh, in any crisis, crisis tends to reveal character. And sadly, there are some believers uh, or Christians, I don't know if they're believers really, but some Christians who have taken different courses in this situation uh, that are contrary to the word of God. And crisis reveals character. And crisis also reveals what we hold is preeminent and predominant in our lives. Today we're going to talk about the way up is down. The way up is down out of Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 4. But before we go there, uh, and I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Hold your finger there. And then we're going to go back uh, to Ephesians, a few pages back in your copy of Scripture, to chapter 4 of Ephesians. 
Uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians is the high point or the acme of what it means to be the church. And there Paul writes, chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, and being diligent. By the way, verse 3 is key here. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. True believers in Jesus Christ, if you've believed in him for everlasting life, uh, you are assured of that through scripture. And also we are giving, given the, the Holy Spirit who indwells us, Paul tells us that in Corinthians. And the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, cannot be divided. So when there are Christians that are disunified and divided, who are truly believers, uh, we are to be diligent and work hard to maintain the unity of the Holy Spirit because God cannot be divided. So when Christians are divided or divisive over current events, over pandemic issues, whatever it may be, it tells me that either one of the parties is sinning or perhaps both of the parties are in sin. And so this unity is key to what it means to be a Christian. The Apostle Paul wants the crisis to reveal our joyful character and our unity. And so the question is, is are you living the Christian life with great joy, even through the challenges of our current season? And so one of the primary reasons that we <clears throat> lose our joy or it's robbed from us, if you will, is because of other people, circumstances, uh, uh, possessions or lack of possessions, anxiety, worry, uh, can eradicate joy from our lives. And so this past week, uh, if you find your joy has slipped, if you find anxiety and fear are filling your life, we need to renew our minds. We need to renew our minds what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, back in Philippians, back in chapter 2, as we begin our, or continue our study through Philippians, is going to encourage us and how to stand firm. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this passage of scripture. And Lord, I pray for each one viewing this message that as we look into the word together, that you would apply it to our lives through the power of your spirit. And Lord, that you would transform us and change us to Christ's likeness because of this encounter with you and with your word and with one another, even though we're not gathered. And Lord, thank you for blessing us so richly, even in tumultuous times. Praise you for your goodness. In Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen. As I said in our last session, uh, how we think in our minds is, forms the way we really live. Uh, what we believe in our minds uh, forms our attitudes, and our attitudes are at the heart of our actions. So our belief our inform our attitudes, uh, which work themselves out into actions in life, decisions for life. And God has a desired plan for our lives, has a will for our lives. And so we come to the book of Philippians, and we are going to consider just four verses in chapter 2, the first four. 
Uh, let me begin by reading in context here, beginning clear back up in cha chapter 1, verse 27. Chapter 1, verse 27. We co covered this portion last session. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Amen and amen. As you followed along in that passage, uh, the Philippians, the Philippian believers that Paul is writing to, remember Paul is imprisoned in Rome. And he's on very adverse circumstances with a very uncertain future, which will eventually lead to his martyrdom. But the Philippian believers, which was a Roman colony, and he told them to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's talking about their citizenship, if you were with us last time. Uh, and, of course, Philippi was a Roman colony with Roman citizens, and so they understood citizenship. And their biggest battle was not with external circumstances. He talks about suffering at the end of chapter 1. Uh, that's not their biggest battle, though, about their suffering. Uh, but it's about the internal attitudes that can destroy the unity found in the church or supposed to be found in the church. Paul had demonstrated his own refusal in chapter 1 to let external circumstances control his attitudes. Did you get that? Reread chapter 1. You see the Apostle Paul, he didn't allow external circumstances to affect his personal, his attitudes or control them in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. But the first word in chapter 2, verse 1, that therefore points back to the command in 127 about conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Here in chapter 2, we find out how to fulfill that command. Uh, God is not giving us any commands which he does not explain and does not give the power to follow. An attitude of submissiveness is required to experience joy. That's just contrary and countercultural to the society we live in. All, it's all about power and exaltation of self. It's not about a submissive mind. Uh, Christ Jesus, who exemplified selflessness, service, sacrifice, and glorification of the Father. Jesus Christ is the one who demonstrates for us. He is the pattern of the way up is down. That is submissive mind. And we're going to see that in our next session as Paul uses Christ as the primary example and pattern 
what this means. But uh, this idea of a submissive mind, the pattern for a submissive mind, the Apostle Paul is concerned, as he said in Ephesians that we read this morning, as he said here that we would be one in this idea that there uh, is a basis for our unity. In verse 1, we see there is a basis for our unity. There's four positive incentives here. Uh, four things that he's going to tell us here. And he's reminding us of our standing in Jesus Christ, reminding us of who we are as Christians, of our identity. Now, you notice that there are four things here. And in my translation, most translations, they have a little part, particle called that says if, I-F. And it doesn't mean there is doubt. It's a conditional particle, and it refers to a fulfilled condition. The Apostle Paul is reminding them of who they are and why they're where they're at as believers in Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, listen to uh, uh, Lightfoot's translation. If, you, if then your experience in Christ appeal to you with any force, if love exerts any persuasive power upon you, if your fellowship in the Spirit is a living reality, if you have any affectionate yearnings of heart, any tender feelings of compassion, listen and obey. That's Lightfoot's translation. But these four statements recall for us, they remind us or should, uh, of what it means and the blessings that we have as a Christian community. You know, there's no, no place, the Bible not, does not talk about individualistic faith where we practice the faith individually. It's always in community. Remember, the triune Godhead is the one at the very beginning before there was time. Uh, they were the original community, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three persons in one essence we call God. And so he was original community. And we see the emphasis on community throughout the Old Testament, especially the nation Israel. And then we see the emphasis on community in the New Testament with the development of the church in Acts chapter 2. And so there is a call for us to be unified. There's these four positive incentives, these four statements of blessing that we have. The first one, look at the first one. If there is any encouragement, you can translate that word if by assume, assuming, assuming there is any encouragement in Christ. And Paul's being very gentle with these believers. And of course, he's just prodding them to really think about their position in Christ. Uh, the word there, encouragement, translated encouragement, there's some debate among uh, scholars that uh, the word could be translated encouragement or it's capable of meaning exhortation also. But I think the best understanding is that the word seems to mean encouragement in this context. And it comes, becomes this all idea of Christian commitment that we are encouraged because of Christ in him. Uh, and it's not something we produce in ourselves. The second one, notice in verse 1, we can assume that there is a consolation of love or a comfort of love. And this is not the kind of love for one another. This is Christ's love for his people, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so this idea of this unconditional love, this powerful love, that's an expression of Jesus Christ's character. So we assume there's a consolation of love. And if we think back, we think, yes, God in his grace, in his love, opened our eyes to the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
So encouragement, consolation, or comfort of Christ's love. Thirdly, assuming there is fellowship of the Spirit. And, of course, this is the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. And fellowship is brought by the Spirit. Fellowship in the Spirit. Uh, one of the commonalities of the New Testament church is the fact that every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, we don't see that in the Old Testament. The Old Testament believers were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon some at certain times for works of power and strength and wisdom. But in the New Testament, the mark of the church is the fact that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. So we have this fellowship. It's inbuilt. That's why Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 4 to be diligent to maintain the unity and, uh, you know, that's the idea that we are to be unified. Fourthly, he says, assume that there's affection and compassion, affection and compassion. Again, these terms refer to the mercies shown to you and I by the Lord himself. These statements make a strong emotional appeal uh, to the fact that we have a position and a place of what is called the church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, of course, the, the great Lutheran uh, pastor who was uh, uh, executed during World War II by the Nazis, written many books. Dietrich uh, Bonhoeffer, in his book uh, entitled Life Together, writes this. If we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even where there is no great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to his measure and riches which were there for us all in Christ Jesus. I remind people and remind this congregation that there are no small places in God's economy. Yeah, we may be out in the middle of what might be considered by some people as nowhere, not a big urban ministry, and yet there are no small places in God's economy. And he loves us, and he loves what God is doing in and through us in that work. And so verse 1 is the basis of our unity, the basis of our unity. Verse 2, the first part, is about the heart of our unity, the heart. Notice in verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, Make my joy complete. And that's the only imperative verb in this paragraph right here in these verses. It's a command, make my joy complete. How? By being of the same mind. By being of the same mind, he tells us. And again, Paul's focus is on how we think and our mind. And he's talking about unity. He's not talking about uniformity. There's a difference between unity and uniformity. You know, we're all a diverse bunch, and we dress differently, and we have different experiences, and we have different likes and dislikes, and uh, all of this, but we are unified around the cause of Jesus Christ. Be of the same mind, he said. H.A. Ironside, who was an a evangelist, a Bible teacher in the middle of the 20th century, he said that it is very evident that Christians will never see eye to eye on all points. Did you get that? It's very evident that we as believers will not see eye to eye on everything. We are so largely influenced by our habits, by environment, by education, by the measure of intellectual and spiritual apprehension in which we have attained, that is, it is an impossibility to find any number of people who look at everything from the same standpoint. 
Boy, so true in these days, whether it's pandemic or whether it's politics, whatever. Uh, Ironside goes in to say, how then can we be of one mind? You know, uh, what I've seen is such divisiveness that even within families, there is difference of opinion about current events that it is dividing relationships. And this is true, as I've read throughout churches across North America, that people are separating from one another because of their views of politics and political parties and presidents and all of that. And what should not be. So Lightfoot says, how can we be of one mind? That is a fundamental question, isn't it? How can we be united? The apostle explains this himself. Lightfoot goes on this, or not Lightfoot, Ironside, excuse me, Ironside, when he says, I think also that I have the mind of Christ. That's what Paul, the apostle Paul said. The mind of Christ is the lowly mind. It is the submissive mind, which we will see in our next portion of scripture. And if we are all of this mind, we shall walk together in love, considering one another and seeking rather to be helpers of one another's faith rather than challenging each other's convictions. I've said it's good to have convictions. I've said this before. Uh, but w the problem with convi personal convictions is we, when we try to make them somebody else's personal convictions. There's a difference between personal convictions and the revealed will of God in Scripture. His precepts, his promises, his, uh, his guidance through the, the, the uh, New Testament for his church. So we are to be of the same mind, and that is the mind of Christ, which we will see in our next session. And so the basis of our unity, the heart of our unity, in verses, second part of verse 2, four, two through 4, uh, the expression of our unity. There's three characteristics here. We're going to see that we are to have the same outlook, we are to live in humility, and we are to have consideration for one another. But in verse, second part of verse 2, we're to have the same outlook. Again, where he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. There's the heart of our unity. And then here's the expression where he says, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Maintain the same love. And this is the love of Christ. This is that unconditional love. And this is the love that he expresses to us. United in spirit. In other words, we have a commonality. When we talk about community and we talk about faith communities, we have a commonality in Jesus Christ and intent on one purpose, and that is to glorify Jesus Christ, to worship him, and to grow in Christ. So that characteristic, we are to have the same outlook. And in verse 3, the second characteristic is to live in humility. Live in humility. And this seems to be in short supply today as I look at social media, as I see uh, Christians arguing with Christians and Christians arguing with non-Christians. In verse 3, he goes on to say, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Again, the mind. That's what we think, what we believe when we have a humble mind. It means that we look clearly at ourselves and look at others clearly. Uh, when living in humility, James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, each cite the Greek version of Proverbs 3, 34. Proverbs 3, 40, 34 says, He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble. 
and the oppressed. Did you catch that? Proverbs 3.34, he's talking about God. He mocks, he mocks proud mockers, but he shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. You know, pride seeks self-elevation. Humility elevates others. Humility is not humiliation, by the way, but it works to build solidarity. Uh, pride seeks self-elevation. I see so much of that today. And I pray God would protect me and protect you and protect Grace Point Church from seeking elevation, self-aggrandizement. Of course, we all want to be right. We all have convictions and opinions uh, about what's going on around us today. But really, uh, humility elevates others. How are you elevating others with your posts on social media or in your conversations with other people? Humility is not humiliation, but it seeks to build solidarity. It builds solidarity. Thomas Akempis wrote in his book, Imitation of Christ, the humble life is continuous peace, while in the hearts of the proud are envy and frequent anger. Ooh, envy and frequent anger. Thomas Akempis' statement captures the truth about humility. It releases us from jealousy, from that weary striving to be right all the time, to be the top dog. Humility is a distinctly Christian virtue. I don't know if you knew that. In fact, humility was considered a shortcoming in the Greco-Roman world, the, the, the world that the Apostle Paul and the early church were in. Christian humility isn't false modesty or weak-willed disposition. Rather, it is the proper assessment of who we are in relationship to God and to others. When we are focused on Christ, we can't be focused on prom promoting ourselves. Have the same outlook as an expression of our unity. Live in humility as an expression of our unity. And thirdly, have consideration for others, verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but for also for the interest of others. Do not look out for your own personal interests. Alex Haley was the author of Roots, and he had a picture in his study of a turtle sitting on top of a fence post. The photo was there to remind him of a lesson he learned early in life. Alex Haley related that if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know that he had some help in getting up there. Anytime I start thinking, wow, isn't this marvelous what I've done, what I've achieved, I look at the photo and remember how this turtle, me, got up on top of that post. You know, consideration for others, recognizing to elevate others, sometimes costs us and sometimes is an experience that we don't necessarily care for. Again, H.I. Ironside said, the true obstacle to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences of opinion, but self-centeredness. Listen to that. The obstacle to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences but of opinion, but self-centeredness. Shifting attention away from ourselves become the challenge. No, let no one seek his own good, but that of others. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That humility. You know, there's a difference uh, in life 
between contribution and commitment. I think you know that. I think a lot of churches, people feel that they are making a contribution, but are they really committed? And when we're making a contribution by paying lip service to our unity with other believers or our position in, in our church, but there's the issue of commitment. Am I truly committed to Christ as the supreme and predominant one? I see many Christians today are divided in their allegiances. If they are truly believers, I think they're involved in idolatrous worship of a political party, of a politician, uh, of uh, making things the way they want them to be, perhaps idolatrous of their bank accounts or retirement accounts, whatever it is. But if we're truly committed to Lord Jesus Christ and not just making a contribution we recognize he is preeminent, he is supreme in our lives. We worship him and worship him alone. Uh, you know the difference between the chicken and the pig? The chicken and the pig, have you ever thought about that? Well, next time you sit down to breakfast and you have a plate of bacon and eggs or ham and eggs, you know that the chicken was involved in a contribution, but the pig was fully and totally committed, wasn't he, to that plate? And so that's the difference when we are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what. doesn't mean we uh, don't have personal opinions and even convictions about what's going on around us, but do we truly worship him? Do we truly believe in him? Do we truly know that he is the sovereign God of the universe? And it doesn't matter eventually what political parties and pandemics do. God is in control of all things. Next time, we are going to see the Apostle Paul uh, just hammer home uh, the rest of this message of these verse, four verses. Uh, when we take a moment to review Paul's letter to the church at Philippi so far, uh, you know, if opposition to the gospel calls for standing firm, and if standing firm requires unity, and if unity only comes with humility and love, then Paul had to illustrate the critical importance of humility and love. And the best way to emphasize the importance of humility and love was to remind us of the attitude and the conduct of Jesus Christ the Lord. That's the only way. An attitude of submissiveness is required to experience joy in life, and our pattern for a submissive mind is Jesus Christ, who exemplified self selflessness, service, sacrifice, glorification, and we need that. J.I. Packer, who just recently passed away, in his book, Hot Tub Religion, he writes these words. And listen carefully as I quote J.I. Packer. He writes, do I arouse eagerness in your heart or do I irritate you? There are people who resent the suggestion that joy is for everyone. Oh, they say, that might be all right for you, but it's no use to me. It's just a mockery as far as I'm concerned. They say that because they are hurting emotionally. They say that because they are hurting emotionally. If you are hurting, it is hard to believe that there's any possibility for joy to you. And perhaps you've experienced that this past week. Packer goes on to say, you feel bitter and angry because you know others experience joy and want to pass it on to you. But to readers enmeshed in the four black D's, disappointment, desolation, depression, 
desperation or bogged down by one of, any one of the four black F's, frustration, failure, fear, fury, I want to say two things. Packer gives us two things. First of all, Christians are not victims and prisoners of either the past or the present. Stop being a victim. The powers of forgiveness and new creation are at work in our lives. Before them lies a sure and certain hope of deliverance, transformation, and glory. Joy will someday be ours in fullest measure, and we should not give way to the black feeling that life will never be better for us than it is now. Okay? We have a greater hope, a greater allegiance. Secondly, Packer says, Christians have, so to speak, larger souls than other people for grief and for joy like desolation and hope or pain and peace can coexist in their lives in a way that non-Christians know nothing about. Grief, desolation, and pain are feelings triggered by our present situations, but faith produces joy, hope, and peace at all times. This does not mean that grief, desolation, and pain <clears throat> cease to be felt. That idea is simply inhuman. It means that something else is experienced alongside the hurt. It's because for Christians today, like Paul of long ago, to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing, people who sorrow should be told that God offers them joy, whatever their circumstances, for this assurance is just as true for them as it is for anyone else. Just a reminder, just a reminder that all of us individually own our own attitudes and emotions, 100%. We can make the choice, the decision, and the Apostle Paul reminds us because of Jesus Christ, he gives us things, he gives us the basis for our unity, for our submissiveness, the heart of our unity and our submissiveness, and the expression of our heart and, and expressiveness. So we have that option. I'm going to close today by asking you the question that uh, J.B. Phillips asked for that quote I read right at the beginning. Perhaps if we believed what they believed, speaking of first century believers, we might achieve what they achieved. Isn't that amazing that in the first century, this fledgling church founded in Acts chapter 2, in the next 125 years, they spread the good news of Jesus Christ over the whole known world, the whole Roman Empire. And they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have computers, they didn't have anything but just their own personal testimony and the truth of God's word. I'm going to close today with a benediction. Remember, a benediction is not just wishful thinking. It is a blessing from God, basically, sending you out into your week. And uh, I want to just uh, use this. It's not really a benediction, but this word from chapter 4 of Philippians Remember, the Apostle Paul asked this question, whatever happens in your life, your happenings in life, your circumstances in life, uh, there, there are these things, you know, we're to stand firm, we're to press on, but then the third one is found in chapter 4, verse 4. And this is my blessing to you from God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's my prayer for you. Amen.
and amen. Go in God's grace, and we trust that you will have a blessed, joyful week ahead of you.